This program is brought to you by the partners of A Root Awakening International. Help others find truth. Support A Root Awakening International today. The New Testament cannot be taken literally. In English, that is. But even in Greek, we need to take a step back and analyze what is being said because it was Hebrews who wrote the Bible from a Hebrew perspective in a Hebrew culture. To truly understand the New Testament, we have to use the Torah, and Michael Rood shows us how tonight because it's the end of the sixth day, the sun is set, and this is Shabbat Night Live. Shabbat Shalom, Torah fans. Welcome to Shabbat Night Live with Michael Rood. How are we supposed to understand our English Bible? Well, it's not the way you think, and tonight we'll find out just how from Michael Rood in the third episode of Rightly Dividing the Truth. So let's get into that right away with my co-host, the Chief Operating Officer of Arud Awakening International, Ted Clayton. Shabbat Shalom, Scott. Shabbat Shalom. And hello, everybody. Welcome to Shabbat Night Live. You know, we've had this beautiful set of silver in front of us the whole month, and we've never talked about this thing, so I want to talk about this. Mm-hmm. This is uh, part of our love gift this month in April. Yes. It's a beautiful serving set. Now this is, so you get the serving set, uh, the, the teaching which we'll talk about in a second and this beautiful yard flag. Yeah. But uh, this serving for a, a gift of $300 will send you all this as a gift. Michael wanted us to send something really spectacular this month and this is what it is. So this serving set, uh, some people use it for Passover. Other folks use it just for a fancy tea time. It's got little spoons in here. It's all silver plated. Beautiful, beautiful. beautiful. It's, it's, it's really heavy. This is like a classic thing here. Absolutely. And you could put uh, you could even put little candies in it if you want, or sure. something like that, sure. or, or cream and sugar, or whatever you want for for a tea set or for Passover. Some people use it for uh, haroset and uh, the bitter herbs for Passover. Right. So it's a very versatile thing. It's a beautiful. It would go in any home. And that is for your gift of $300 or more. So you'll get that in addition to this beautiful yard flag. Now, Ted, I understand Michael has one and you have one in front of your house too. I have one in front of my house. Ladies and gentlemen, you wouldn't believe the number of people now that come up to me while I'm in my yard and say, hey, we saw that yard flag. And what in the world does that really mean? And that allows me to get into an entire conversation about the true name of God and our faith. So ladies and gentlemen, this is what this does. This is not only a profession of your faith, but it also is a great discussion starter with your neighbors, your family, and friends. And you know, uh, like the silver serving set that we were just talking about a moment ago, you know, ladies, people are going to ask, where did you get that beautiful silver serving set? And you can say, well, you know what? I got it because I supported Michael and Michael Rood. Let me tell you a little bit about a Rood Awakening for just a moment. So these items are not just beautiful and not just uh, something that you'd be proud to have at your home, but they're also great conversation starters about your faith and a great way to introduce them to a rude awakening. And indeed, speaking of a set, so it's a serving set, but this is also part of a set because, just so you know, a little secret here, oh. this is just one of many flags we're gonna be coming out with for, for the garden right. flag. So you might as well start your set now. Well, maybe you started it with Passover because there's a Passover one too. There's a That's Passover right. one, a 
God of the World one, the Name of God one, which I think is the greatest one of all. Absolutely. And there's gonna be one for every single feast that's coming up. So you might as well start your collection with this. Again, these are, you're not buying these things. You say, well, I don't wanna buy a serving set. It's a gift from Michael. It's for supporting the ministry. He says, I wanna give you this. This is not about buying this. It's it's a thank you. To say thank you for supporting the ministry. Exactly right. And uh, Kevin Fisher also uh, blessed us because he came in and did this. He didn't ask for anything. He just came in and did this teaching. Incredible man. It's called Finding God's Gold. And this is, he has personal video of uh, folks going to the area of the the garden, uh, the Golgotha uh, in Israel. Mm -hmm. And today there is a uh, sort of a, I guess sort of a deck, a covered deck area with a bunch of benches where people like to pray and things Mm -hmm. like that. Little do they know that 20 feet below their feet is the cross hole where Yeshua was crucified. That's right. And about another 20 feet below that, through the bedrock, is a cave where the Ark of the Covenant was found by Ron Wyatt. And there is sophisticated gold detection equipment, a video of it that that, uh, Kevin Fisher shows in this video Mm -hmm. that proves that that 600 pounds of solid gold is right underneath where where Ron Wyatt said it was and you're not gonna believe your eyes. It's an amazing thing, and like Ted, I said this a couple of weeks ago, but I've seen, I looked for video, other video on YouTube of this piece of equipment that they use, and sure enough, it's it's in uh, Turkey, made in Turkey. Yes, yes. And people are using it on videos to find other pieces of gold. They show how they take a, a, a uh, plate of gold, a gold-plated uh, plate. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> For lack of a better term. And they put it in the ground, and they yeah. bury it, and then they step back 20 feet, and lo and behold, this thing points right to it. And they go on the other side, points right to it. So this is the real deal. This is an amazing thing to watch, and uh, it, it's, it's a beautiful teaching, Finding God's Gold. That's the April love gift. Now, speaking of teachings, we talked about tonight, episode three of yes. Rightly Dividing Michael. the Truth. It's yeah. uh, called, this episode is called, It's All Greek to Me. So let's take a look. In Acts chapter 17, verse one, now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. <laughs> that's kind of redundant. There was a synagogue, that's all you had to say. You didn't have to say a synagogue of the Jews because that is what's in a synagogue. However, it is a Greek word, it's synagogue. Uh, to, together with, gather together with, and this is the enclave of Phariseeism. Just like uh, you would, uh, a, a mosque, Now, all you have to do is say mosque, and you know it's a Muslim mosque. All you have to do is say a a, a cathedral, you know, such as St. Peter's Cathedral, and you know this is a Roman Catholic enclave. When you say synagogue, you know this is a Pharisee enclave. And so there was a synagogue, and Shaul, as a matter was, went in unto them and for three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the scriptures. Now, what scriptures do you think he used to reason with these Jews in their synagogue in Thessalonica? Do you think he used Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? Do you think he pulled out uh, a letter to the book uh, in Romans and said, uh, and the reason it's true is I wrote it right here to a group of people in Rome. That would go over like a lead balloon. No, he took them back to the Torah and to the prophets. That is what establishes and that is where truth is resident. The Almighty reveals himself and it's a revelation of the Messiah through his word and through his prophets. 
All right, so that is Michael's episode. It's all Greek to me. Outstanding. You know, it never uh, it never amazes me more than to see Michael Rood explain things in such a great way for you to understand it. And once again, Michael has just outdone himself with this fabulous teaching uh, on that. It's just it's just incredible. And you know, another thing that's incredible, Scott, is once this has been broadcast, you can go to the michaelrood.tv app. Yes. And actually see these videos. Ladies and gentlemen, there are literally hundreds and hundreds of videos up at the michaelrood.tv app that you can watch and they are just absolutely incredible. And mm-hmm. you can watch the, the things on Michael Rood TV app uh, free for the first 14 days. But mm-hmm. after that, it's as little as 33 cents a day. I think right. it's $9.99 and, and a that's, month. And that's the highest price. Because if you buy it annually, of course, the price comes down. Again, yes, so. yes. So ladies and gentlemen, you definitely want to get the michaelrood.tv app. You know, recently, Scott, we celebrated Passover. Yes. All of those teachings are up there on the michaelrood.tv app for people to see. So if you missed Passover 2021 this year, you can go back up to the michaelrood.tv app and you can watch everything uh, that was broadcast on that uh, that wonderful day. Mm -hmm. And there's just so many other things up there. Scott, you have your Health Awakening program up there. That's right, and there's all kinds of uh, extras that we do with folks who come in here and uh, who are our guests on Shabbat Night Live. Mm -hmm. And what we do is we put those those episodes that are a little more controversial, maybe things that YouTube would take us down yep. for. Yep. So we put these on the app so no one can take them down. So and this, that's why it's so important. This is just great, ladies and gentlemen. So if you haven't gotten the michaelrood.tv app, you need to go today and run because you can watch it on Roku. You can watch it on Apple TV. You can watch it on your Amazon Fire Stick, all on your television. So we're still on television. We're right there on TV with you, but you can also take it anywhere you want to go. It's on your phone, your tablet. Just fantastic. Absolutely. All right. Well, thanks for joining us tonight, Ted. All right. So tonight, how do we as English speakers read a New Testament derived from Greek, which originated from Hebrew-speaking apostles? Michael Root explains the process tonight in episode three of Rightly Dividing the Truth. Stay tuned. In the 1980s, Ron Wyatt claimed to have found the Ark of the Covenant. Today, sophisticated gold detection equipment is suggesting his claim is true. So now it's spinning when it's it's moving left and right, scanning, and it's pointing to the cross hole, which the Ark of the Covenant would be below that. So it's underneath that area right there. So the Ark is below. Finding God's Gold with special guest Kevin Fisher reveals amazing video that connects Golgotha to the Ark of the Covenant. But the only way to watch it is to receive it as our gift. Donate a $50 love gift and we'll send you Finding God's Gold with Kevin Fisher on DVD or Blu-ray. Or for a donation of $100, we'll send you Finding God's Gold plus a one-of-a-kind yard flag featuring the name of Yahovah in Hebrew, scanned directly from the Aleppo Codex. Or as a special offer for a donation of $300, we'll send you Finding God's Gold with Kevin Fisher, the Name of God yard flag, and a silver-plated serving set, perfect for adding some set-apart elegance to make the Sabbath extra special. These gifts are available only in April, 
and supplies are limited. Make your donation today and receive the $50 gift, the $100 gift, or the $300 gift. Remember, this offer ends April 30th and supplies are limited. Call now to receive your gifts. 888-766-3610. That's 888-766-3610. Or get your gifts online at monthlylovegift.com. Yeshua said, Abraham saw my day and rejoiced. When did Abraham see his day? When the king of righteousness, the Melech Zadik, brought forth bread and wine. And when he brought forth bread and wine, it says that the Melech Zadik blessed the Most High. And that prayer is still remembered and is what Yeshua said when he blessed the Most High the night of the Last Supper the night before the Passover lambs were slain. Yeshua said, Baruch atah Yehovah, Elohim melech ha'olam, hamotzi lechem mi'aretz. This broken bread represents my broken body, my body which is broken for you. By my stripes you are healed. Do this as often as you do this in remembrance of me. And then he took the cup. And in the words of the Melech Zadik, he blessed the Most High. Baruch atah Yehovah Eloheinu Melech HaOlam. Borei Pri Hagafen. Blessed are you, Yehovah, our God, King of the universe, creator of the fruit of the vine. And Yeshua said, this represents and has represented from the time of Abraham the renewed covenant. My blood will purchase for you. As often as you do it, do it in remembrance of me. Shabbat Shalom. The prophets who are responsible for calling God's people back to his instructions say that my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge and it's a lack of knowledge of his word. His word is not understood when it's read because uh, now it's very rare that someone's taught actually how to read the Bible and how to understand it, how to understand the individual words in the scripture. Realizing that what we have in our English Bibles is an English translation of Hebrew scriptures. The New Testament is the English translation of Greek scriptures, but even those Greek words are still describing a Hebrew culture. And without understanding the culture and getting it back in context of the culture, uh, many times those Greek words are not the best words to be able to translate this. So uh, we find that uh, one of our great keys is by going back from the English into the Greek when we're reading in the New Testament, or the Brit Hadashah, and then finding those very same Greek words back in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Torah and Prophets. Until technology changes a culture, 
as long as it remains an agricultural society, uh, words don't change that much in their usage. It changes from one area to another, but if we understand that the Greek scriptures that we have are describing a Hebrew culture, and we find those same Greek words back in the Torah and the prophets, we are going to be able to reverse engineer and to understand how we got the scripture. As we read in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. Uh, first of all, the word all has to be understood. Is it all without exception? Is all scripture or all writing? given by inspiration of God, because that's what the word scripture is, literally, it is just writing. Is every bit of writing that's ever been done given by inspiration of God? The answer is obvious. No, this is not all without exception, this is all with distinction. And what is a distinction? This distinction is given to us in this very verse. All scripture is given by inspiration of God is all one word, theopneustos, or God breathed. And literally, every bit of scripture, of writing, that is God-breathed is the all scripture which it speaks of. And every bit of scripture that is God-breathed, every writing that is God-breathed, that by, whereby a prophet speaks for the Almighty and delivers a message, it's profitable. It's profitable for doctrine, reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. This all scripture we have to define within the context too. As the preceding verse, Shaul was speaking to Timothy and said, you've known the scripture from a youth, which is able to make you wise into salvation. What is the scripture that he knows? Of course, it's not the gospels. He, the gospels are not gonna be written for decades after this address. It's not Shaul's writings that he's speaking of. Now, I'm not saying that the Gospels are not God-breathed or that they're not Scripture. I'm just saying that in the context when it speaks here, it is speaking of the Torah, the prophets, and the Ketuvim, the other writings, what known as the Tanakh. That is what he's familiar with. This is what he's been raised with his entire life. But when it comes down to it, the, the Torah is the instructions. The prophets call us back to the instructions. The other writings tell us what happens when God's people don't live according to the instructions and when they do live according to the instructions. And so now we're gonna go into the book of the Acts and we're going to see how the scriptures play out here. Because again, in the book of the Acts, none of Shaul's letters were written, the gospels were written. And so in Acts chapter 17, please turn to Acts chapter 17. In Acts chapter 17, verse one, now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. <laughs> that's kind of redundant. There was a synagogue, that's all you had to say. You didn't have to say a synagogue of the Jews because that is what's in a synagogue. However, it is a Greek word, it's synagogue. Uh, to, together with, gather together with, and this is the enclave of Phariseeism. Just like uh, you would, uh, a mosque, now all you have to do is say mosque and you know it's a Muslim mosque. All you have to do is say a, a, um, um, a, a cathedral, you know, such as St. Peter's Cathedral, and you know this is a Roman Catholic enclave. When you say synagogue, you know this is a Pharisee enclave. And so there was a synagogue, and Shaul, as a matter was, went in unto them and for three Sabbath days reasoned with them 
out of the scriptures. Now, what scriptures do you think he used to reason with these Jews in their synagogue in Thessalonica? Do you think he used Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? Do you think he pulled out uh, a letter to the book uh, in Romans and said, uh, and the reason it's true is I wrote it right here to a group of people in Rome. That would go over like a lead balloon. No, he took them back to the Torah and to the prophets. That is what establishes and that is where truth is resident. The Almighty reveals himself and it's a revelation of the Messiah through his word and through his prophets. In Acts chapter 18, just a, a couple pages over, Acts chapter 18 and in verse 28, it says, that, speaking of Apollos, Apollos, now of course that's a pagan, a name of a pagan god, and this is Apollos, he was a, he was a, a Greek. And it says that he mightily convinced the Jews and that publicly, showing by the scriptures that Yeshua was Messiah. Now what is this, what scriptures was he using? Again, it's not the Gospels. It's nothing that Shaul wrote. If you are going to prove to anyone, especially Jews that have been raised in the Torah their entire life, to whom the written oracles and living oracles were committed to them, if you're going to prove to them, you have to have a command of the scriptures that speak of the Messiah. And for the most part, the Christian world is completely ignorant of any of these scriptures. Apollos was not. In Acts chapter 17, we're, we're gonna go back because uh, in chapter 17 and in verse 11, is speaking of the those in Berea. These are the Jews in Berea, in the synagogue there. It says that they were more noble than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. And of course, they're not opening the book of the Gospel of John and searching to see if those things are so. No, those are the testimony, the written testimony of the things that Yeshua began to do and teach. And of course, Luke tells us that um, uh, the, the entire Gospel of Luke is the things Yeshua began to do and teach until the day he was taken up. After that, the book of Acts then starts out by saying, after that, he gave commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen by way of the Holy Spirit. And this is the book that we're in. We're in the book of the Acts of the Apostles. The King James Version really butchered the, uh, the punctuation on this, and so let me say it again. The former treaties have I written unto you, O Theophilus, O beloved of God, of all that Yeshua began to do and teach until the day he was taken up. And that is the book of Luke takes you right to the ascension. After that, he gave commandments to the apostles he had chosen by way of the Holy Spirit. And so now the book of the Acts is learning to walk by the Spirit, sometimes the hard way. Within a few chapters, people end up dead, okay? Because they are in transgression of the commandments. They are trying to trick the Holy Spirit, they're trying to get a leg up and, and posture themselves, uh, such as Ananias and Sapphira, and they end up dead. Bad things happen to good people too, but yet the Almighty is the one who is directing things. All power in heaven and earth has been given to Yeshua. The authority has been given to him and he is orchestrating these things. Now, these Bereans were searching the scriptures. What are they searching? 
the very scriptures that Shaul was teaching from, from the Torah and the prophets. We'll go into a little bit more of Shaul's background in a little bit. And Second Peter, it is Peter that, that says that, now this is after Peter has already said that the Lord, Yeshua, has given him revelation, has given him information that's impossible for him by the five senses to know, and this information is that he is not going to live that much longer. And so these words that he is laying out are extremely important, and he closes the entire section by saying, even as our beloved brother Paul, as according to the wisdom that has been given unto him, hath written unto you. As also in all of his epistles, all the letters he writes, he speaks in them of these things in which some things are hard to be understood. Peter recognized that, that Paul writes on things that are very difficult to understand. And, you know, we're a lot like Peter, you know, we're, we're kind of fishermen. You know, we did not grow up like Shaul did at the feet of Gamaliel. See, to sit at the feet of Gamaliel, who is still today one of the most revered rabbis in all the history of Israel, to sit at the feet of, of Gamaliel, you had to be the flower of your generation. You will have learned the entire Torah verbatim, every single word, Genesis through Devarim, and this is by the time you're 20 years old. You know, you are the intelligentsia of the nation if you are sitting at the feet of Gamaliel. And he said that he was more zealous for the Torah than any of his peers. Now, I suggest that very few of us, now that we are twice the age of his students, uh, and I'm three times the age, and I still haven't memorized the entire Torah verbatim. Shaul not only did it by the time he was 20, but he said he was more zealous for the Torah than all of his peers. So he really understands. And he writes things that are hard to be understood, even in the original language that, that Peter is reading, and he's reading his letters, he's saying some of these things are some pretty deep things which they, he goes on to say, that are unlearned and unstable wrestle these things as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. What other scriptures, what other writings? The Torah and the prophets, that's what they are unlearned and unstable in. And unless you have a command of the Torah and the prophets, you will not even recognize when Shaul is quoting directly extended passages. I mean, the book of Ephesians is the commentary, Isaiah 45. It's like, you know, you have to know these things, but they didn't even know it was Isaiah 45 back then because a Catholic priest riding horseback through France has not yet put chapters and verses in the Bible. Okay, they have to know these things and he had a command of the scriptures, of the Torah and of the prophets and of the other writings because the other writings are important. As, as Shaul writes, he said, the things were written aforetime were written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. These things tell us, you know, cause and effect, they show what happens when we're in obedience and when we're in disobedience. That is the context of the other writings in the history of Israel to show. This is where we were made and called out 
to be his people, to be his representatives. This is where we went off track. This is what happened because of it. This is what happened to get us back on track. And the prophets come in to do their jobs in order to bring Israel back to the place that in the last days, that even the Gentiles would come to Israel from the ends of the earth, cry out repentance for the abominations they inherited, and the Almighty said, because they, they do the only thing they can do. They cannot help that their mommy told them that a pot-bellied man in a cherry red suit dropped through the chimney on December 24th and delivered presents under an evergreen tree festooned with gold and silver balls. On the birthday of Tammuz, the Babylonian sun god, the reincarnated Nimrod, who was born on December 25th, okay? We can't help it. Or that we grew up in church, going to church on Easter Sunday, which Easter is the name of Nimrod's reincarnated wife, Semiramis, who after she died, ascended in the heavens. The gods named her the queen of heaven, sent her back to the earth in a giant egg on the first Sunday after the vernal equinox. The egg plummeted into the Euphrates River, broke open and out emerges Semiramis as Easter, the bare-breasted sex goddess who turned a bird into an egg-laying rabbit. Ladies and gentlemen, when you grew up with that in church, you had no idea that you inherited lies, that you inherited abominations, Babylonian sun god worship being paraded as religion. I mean, Easter is a name of the goddess of fertility, and the scripture says, don't even let the names of pagan gods come into your mouth. And I only do it as an example so that you understand and you can repent from this. No, the Torah has not changed. The instructions have not changed. The same yesterday, today, and forever. But what has changed? Well, we are still an unstable in, in the Torah, and we will still rest and wrestle it to our own destruction, just like we do Shaul's writings. And there are so many examples of this. We're gonna get into Shaul's writings because those who have not lived the truth, translators, and, and we have to admit, and we acknowledge, it's in the acknowledgement of your uh, King James Version of the Bible. If you have the, 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 um, the Cambridge Version, then you have the original dedication, you have the background, and know that it was done by three committees at three different universities who submitted their work to another committee who made the final decisions on that. And then, after they published it, then later that year in 1611, they came back and made 100 other changes, and they made hundreds of changes through the years, because language changes. And we're gonna have to address some of these these. English words that remain in the text that are completely foreign to the American reader, but in Britain, those words are still in use today. So I'm gonna teach you how to understand the Bible so that you will not be destroyed for lack of knowledge, so that you will not wrestle the Torah and Shaul's writings to your destruction because you do not understand that Shaul is constantly quoting the Torah, which he has memorized verbatim, and the prophets that take us back. 
to the understanding and how to live it. And especially the words of the prophet that Peter said, we have to pay a particular care and really listen to every word that he says because these are the words that came directly from the prophet that we must shema, we must hear and obey, and that we will be judged according to our compliance with the words of that prophet. There are no words that need to be translated more accurately than the words of Yeshua, and unfortunately, many of them have been tortured because those translating them, the committee, though they may be, they didn't live it. And now, as we step into the understanding of this, we're gonna see that Yeshua himself, in Matthew chapter 22, Turn to Matthew chapter 22. Very quickly, you should find this thing right here at the tip of your fingers, Matthew chapter 22. And in verse 29, we begin reading. Yeshua answered and said unto them, you do err, not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. To what was Yeshua referring to the doctors of the law, the doctors of the Torah? What scriptures is he talking about? You do err, not knowing the scriptures? He's speaking of the Torah. The prophets that take us back to the Torah. Yeshua says you err, not knowing the Torah. You don't know the power of God. So when you see the word scriptures in the holy scriptures, you have to accurately determine what is it talking about. Is it talking about the letters of Shaul that many have twisted and ended up destroying themselves, thinking that, that Shaul is, is speaking against or contrary to the Torah, you know, that, that we can now sin so that because grace abounds, now we can sin. I said, God forbid, you're out of your ever-loving mind if you think that grace is a license to sin. That's exactly what Jude said, that evil, evil so-called pastors and teachers would come in to the body of believers, surreptitiously sneak in, and they would turn the grace of God into license, lasciviousness or license. It was Titus who clearly defined this and says that grace teaches us that denying ungodliness, we should live a holy, a righteous life in the middle of a sick, twisted, and perverse world. That is what grace is all about, the divine empowerment. Just as Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, and he did the impossible. He built a boat, an ark, in which he stocked it with all the animals and by listening to the Almighty and following that, took him a 100 years, and by the grace of God, he was empowered to do the impossible, and by that, eight were saved and made it on the other side of the flood. See, the word grace in Hebrew, ken and chesed, appear more times in the Torah and the prophets, many times more than they do in the Gospels or in the writings of Shaul. Now, that does not mean that grace ended on the day of Pentecost. Just because the word grace appears far more in the Torah and the prophets than it does any place, starting with the, with the, the book of, of Matthew. It's just a different word in, in English that is used back then. But hen and hesed, this is the empowering grace of the Almighty. That is how you live a power-filled, abundant life. Not in opposition to the Torah, not in defiance of the Torah, 
not in violation of the Torah because that is sin. And if you deliberately sin, that is just proof that the Torah has not been written on your heart. Those who have no compunction and break the Torah, you know, they, they may be religious, they may be the, the pastor of the denomination and have a worldwide television ministry and raking in millions of dollars and flying around the world in private jets at the expense of widows and orphans, but they don't have the Torah written on their heart. If they speak against the commandments, then you know that they are of the enemy. They do not know the true God. As John says, they are liars. They are liars, they are thieves. As Yeshua said, the thief comes not but to steal and to kill and destroy. He's talking about the false shepherds. He said, I am come that they might have life and they might have it more abundantly. To live a power-filled, abundant life, we have to go back, not err, but we have to go back and get a knowledge of the scriptures and the power of God. Now, go to Acts chapter 22. We're still in the book of Acts. We're moving around here. Acts chapter 22, verse three, we begin reading. And this is where Shaul says, uh, he is defending himself. He says, I am verily a man which is a Jew. I am I, a true man. I'm not a spy, I'm not a fraud. I'm a true man, I'm a Jew. I was born in Tarsus a city of Cilicia, but yet I was brought up here in Jerusalem and this city at the feet of Gamaliel. I was taught according to the perfect manner of the Torah of my fathers. And I was zealous toward God, as all of you and all these Pharisees are you know, bringing me to trial here are this day. And I was the one who persecuted the way unto the death. And, and this is what the followers of the Messiah were called, the followers of the way. We see this all through the book of Acts. And it's a, it's a fine nomenclature, you know, until a Bible came out called the way, and it was an absolute butchery of the scriptures. And then there's a, uh, then, then the, uh, the, uh, the cult, the way international, which turned into, you know, like a rampant grace perversion, replacement theology, sex cult. And, uh, and, and so it's like, you know, it just tainted that very beautiful thing because followers of Yeshua are called followers of the way. And he said that I was persecuting the followers of the way to the death. I bound them, I delivered them in prisons, men and women. I was indiscriminate. Equal opportunity, I would kill them all, thinking that he was doing God service. So, right there, at the feet of Gamaliel, in, uh, in chapter 23, it says that, uh, again, it's another one of these confrontations when Paul perceived that, that one part of the group that was there accusing him were Sadducees, Zedekim priest, the Levitical priesthood, and the other part were Prashim, and knowing that these guys can't get along, and knowing exactly how they disagreed because he was raised as a Pharisee. He cried out in the council and said, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee. He wasn't ashamed of the fact that he was a Pharisee. He was using it to his advantage at this point, but he is no longer a Pharisee, ladies and gentlemen, because Yeshua said, and is so clear in the ancient Hebrew text of the Gospel of Matthew, which came before the Aramaic, came before the Greek, and of course before the English. In fact, it was Papias, the disciple of John who wrote the Gospel of John, said that Matthew wrote his Gospel in the Hebrew language, several did their best to translate it. 
Uh, Papias was quoted by just about every church father uh, for the first uh, 400 years. And it was Eusebius who said, I saw the Gospel of Matthew in Hebrew at Caesarea Philippi, but he couldn't read it. And so the Gospel of Matthew, however, was kept in the covert archives of Jewish scribes, and that's why I, I keep a, a copy of it with several different manuscripts, now 28 uh, in, uh, separate manuscripts of the Gospel of Matthew, the ancient Hebrew Matthew, have been located. And, uh, and so that's why we access them, and I bring this out. And it was when Yeshua was on the Temple Mount, just before his betrayal and crucifixion, the day before, he's on the Temple Mount and he said, the scribes and Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Therefore, whatsoever he says, do. Whatever Moses says, do. But do not follow the Takanot and the Maasim of the Pharisees because they say, but they do not do. Do not follow their Takanot. Takanot is legally defined by the Pharisees. It is in the Encyclopedia Judaica. Takanot are laws enacted by the Pharisee rabbis which either change or negate biblical law. Absolutely forbidden according to the Torah. You can't change it. You don't add, you don't subtract. Talk and note, by its very definition, is the violation of Torah. And that is why when Yeshua fed the 4,000 and not one of them took the two-handled pot of the Pharisees called the Nagel Vesser, took it in their hands and doused one hand, then the other, one hand, then the other, and said the prayer, blessed are you, O Lord of God, came the universe who sanctified us by your commandments, commanding us concerning the washing of hands. Not one of Yeshua's disciples did it. Why? Because there's no commandment to wash the hands. It's made up by the Pharisees and they will tell you they made it up. And they say that we made it up. But, but when you obey that commandment to wash your hands before you eat bread, you can eat anything else without washing your hands, but to eat bread, you must do this. And when you're doing that, you're obeying us, you're obeying a God. Because God says you have to obey the Pharisees. Where does God say that? He said, you don't add, you don't subtract. He didn't say obey those who add and subtract. Absolute insanity. It's like every denomination out there. Phariseeism is no different than any other Christian denomination that came out of Rome for the most part. Just a different set of uh, rabbis. I mean, even the, uh, the, the, the Pope even wears a kippah, which is a solar monstrance, you know, it uh, comes from the worshiping of the sun. That's where it all came from. And the Pope was wearing one before the Jews were wearing one. But anyway, Yeshua said, do not follow the Takanot and the Maasim. Don't follow their man-made rules which change biblical law or their Maasim, the acts of the rabbis which serve as a legal precedent for proper behavior. He says, because they say they follow Moses, but they don't do what Moses said to do. Moses said, you don't add, you don't subtract, and when they said, why do your disciples break the takanot of the, of the fathers, the Pharisee fathers, because they don't wash their hands before they eat bread? Yeshua said, why do you break the commandments of God by your takanot? Because takanot is the definition of breaking the commandments of God. Making your own commandments, stripping away commandments, making your own rules, because then, you are outside of the fence, you're outside of the kingdom, and you are on your way to the broad path and on the broad path that leads to destruction. We'll be back with Paul 
and his letter to Timothy in just a moment. Shaul writes to Timothy and says that all scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's God-breathed, it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. And what is this perfect? It is thoroughly outfitted for the voyage in life. And we see that uh, when he writes to Timothy, and recognizing that Timothy's mother is Jewish, he's been raised in the Torah his whole life, and when he says scriptures, he knows that he's speaking of the Tanakh, primarily the Torah, the, uh, the, Neve, uh, the, the Torah, the writings, uh, translated into English as law, but it means the instructions, and the Nevi'im, the prophets, and the Ketuvim are the other writings. Sin is what is defined in the Torah. The Torah defines sin. And the Nevi'im or the prophets are the ones that point the way back and correct us when we're off the path and to get us back on the right path so that we're no longer in violation of the commandments in the Torah and that we are no longer under a curse. Now, John writes in his epistle, in 1 John chapter three, and in verse two, we are going to read here that. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but, and is uh, speaking of in the resurrection, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we will see him as he is. Every man that has this hope in him purifies himself even as he is pure, okay? Now, the word purify is hagios, and uh, purifies is hagios, and even as he, God is hagion. As a matter of fact, he is pneuma hagion. He is Holy Spirit. And so it is calling us for purity. If we have this hope that we will be like him, when he, Yeshua, appears, that in the resurrection, we, we don't know exactly what our body is going to be like, but it's going to be like unto his glorious body, as he says in another place. And every man that has this hope in him, now, we have to understand the word hope because it's used haphazardly in English today. I hope I win the lottery. Well, that, that, that ain't gonna happen, all right? And I use the word ain't uh, for the emphasis there. That ain't gonna happen, okay? That's, that's not hope. That's wishful thinking. Hope, as it's used in the scripture, is something that is not yet available, but something that is obtainable. And so we are looking to obtain the resurrection. And so it's in the future, and so we're pressing toward the mark, toward the finish line. As Shaul said, I do not consider that I have apprehended or that I made it to the finish line, but I keep my body under subjection. I control myself so I don't, I don't get out of bounds because I know that one day, you know, this is the hope, and that is why I purify myself. And this is what John says, that you make yourself holy. Now, the word holy means set apart, but it's more than that. Set apart, you know, you can be set apart for a lot of different reasons, okay? Uh, you can be set apart to, to go to Las Vegas and, and uh, be in a poker tournament. That doesn't 
make you holy, that's just set apart for a purpose. But this is being set apart from the world and living according to his instructions. Every man that looks toward that hope of Yeshua's return, we know that we're gonna be like him, we have that hope, and so we know that for all of eternity, as it says in the book of Revelation, we will be wearing the garments which are the righteous acts of the saints. What we do in this life, we will be wearing for eternity. And so that is why we press toward the finish line to keep ourselves separated from the world, just as he is separated from the world. Now in Peter, again, he says this in, in, in 1 Peter, and this is in chapter one, 1 Peter chapter one, and here it is in verse 15. It says, be as he which hath called you is holy. Be as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. And again, conversation, Old English, it's conduct. It's not the way you talk, it's the way you conduct yourself. So the one that called us is holy, so it's saying that we are to be holy in our conduct, set apart, that we live according to his rules because he is the one that defines righteousness. Because, as it is written, and guess where it is written? In the Torah, and now he's going to quote the Torah. Because it is written, and this is why you are to be holy. You are to conduct yourself in a righteous manner. You are to purify yourself, becoming more holy. You are to sanctify yourself and be separate from this world because the Almighty said, be ye holy, for I am holy. Now, what we need to do in order to find what this holiness is, we don't make it up. We go back to Leviticus. Go back to Leviticus chapter 11. Leviticus chapter 11, this is something that the spine of your Bible needs to eventually break on this chapter because you're gonna be referring to this quite a bit. Because he said, be holy as I am holy. Peter is quoting this and he says, be especially attentive to what Yeshua says. And then he quotes the Torah calling us to holiness and he quotes it right from here and I begin reading Leviticus chapter 11 verse 43. You shall not make yourself abominable with any creeping thing that creeps. Now he's talking about eating things that the Almighty says do not eat. In other words, the Almighty, and we see in this chapter, that the Almighty created garbage trucks. These are living garbage trucks upon the earth. And what they do is they go along and they eat carrion, they eat dead bodies and such as swine, they don't sweat. They eat carrion, they eat dead things, dead bodies. If a pig dies, a pig will go up and uh, all the other pigs will go up there and eat it, devour it, why? Because it keeps the land clean. They, they are the garbage trucks and they devour these pigs. My, remember my father telling me, his, uh, um, his grandfather, 
uh, had a butcher shop. My, uh, my father worked there. They slaughtered hogs. And when they slaughtered and gutted the hogs, it, it, it just turned my father's stomach because the other hogs, they had to keep them back because they would rush in and eat the entrails immediately uh, of, of the pigs. As soon as they gutted them, they would just start gobbling it up. And so this uh, turned my father against pigs uh, at a very early age because he was 16 when he began working in the slaughterhouse. Well, see, the, the pigs are the garbage trucks. They go around and clean up the earth the same way that, that shrimp and lobster are the garbage trucks. And this is what's talking about the creeping things that are abominable. Because here we're gonna find out what the Almighty says is an abomination. Stay away from it. Keep yourself uh, undefiled by these things. Well, let's let, let me just continue reading on this very thing here. Okay, you shall not make yourself abominable to Avashiket's abominations, disgusting, putrid, and vile, with any creeping thing that creeps. Neither shall you make yourselves unclean with them, that you should be defiled. For I am Yehovah your God. You shall therefore sanctify yourselves, separate yourselves, and you shall be holy as I am holy. This is what Peter is quoting from. You can't separate it from this, people. Neither shall you devour yourself with any manner of creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. I am Yahweh that brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. Therefore, you shall be holy for I am holy. This is the Torah. This is the instructions concerning beast and fowl and of every living creature that moves in the water and every creature that creeps on the earth to make a difference, to make a distinction between the clean and the unclean, between the beasts that may be eaten and the beasts that are the garbage disposals. You know, a lot of people are amazed that, you know, that the culinary practices around the world, and that's why, you know, I do travel the world, and when I get back to the United States, you know, I go into a restaurant, and I tell them, like if I, I want a blue cheese wedge, I say, now, I, I, I don't make sure that there's no pig on it. I don't use swine. They use swine in Germany. I just say pig. That everyone gets a picture. They know what a pig is. I don't want any pig on it. I said, I don't even want a pig looking at my food. Uh, no dog, no pig, no cat, no rat. That's my rules here. And so in a, in a fine restaurant, I'll do that. And of course, it uh, amuses the wait staff to no end when I come up with that. But dog, pig, cat, and rat are all delicacies in parts of the world. Do you know that shrimp, that when you boil shrimp and you dip in butter, that if you if you boil, you know, the big cockroaches down here in the south, if you boil them and then you dip them in butter, they taste just like just like shrimp. It's because shrimp are la cucaracha del mar. They are the cockroach of the sea. They taste the same because they both eat the excrement of other animals and other things. They eat the garbage, and that's what keeps the earth clean. This is why now it is so difficult in the pollution in the, in the oceans, even the clean fish are becoming unclean and contaminated with mercury and all sorts of things. Why? Because they are literally taking hundreds of tons of shrimp and lobster out of the ocean, they are taking the garbage trucks out of the oceans and they're eating them. 
But the Almighty said, leave the garbage trucks alone. I put them here for a reason. Don't eat the dogs, the pigs, the cats, the rats, the cockroaches. Don't eat them. Don't make yourself defiled by them. He says, if you keep my commandments, none of the diseases of the Gentiles will come upon you. And that's why this woman with the, the issue of, of, of blood that Yeshua heals this woman. She takes a hold of the hem of his garment. And he said, he said, you know, go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. Why? Because obviously she was living outside of the commandment. She's contracted the disease of the Gentiles. He heals her and says, don't sin anymore. Because, that, and, and this is why, Orthodox Jews who keep the commandments concerning this, and they've added a lot of others on this that are nowhere in the Bible, okay? They added their own talking note on top of this. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about biblically kosher. Has nothing to do with a cheeseburger. Biblically kosher, they don't get the diseases that Gentile preachers drop dead in the pulpit every year from. Well, the Almighty said, I want you to make a difference. Be holy as I am holy. Twice he quotes it and Peter quotes the same thing. The Torah did not pass away. As long as heaven and earth stands, the Torah is the instructions of the Almighty to his children. This is how you live. <music> 